Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing. Once again, gloriously recorded at the PW offices in New York City. I'm Calvin Reed, contributing editor of Publishers Weekly. I've had a small change yeah. of status. Uh, editor of PW Comics World and still editor of the Fanatic, PW's twice a month comics and pop culture newsletter. You can check us all out on uh, publishers, <laughs> publishersweekly.com slash comics. And I'm Heidi McDonald. I am the editor-in-chief of The Beat at comicsbeat.com. And you can find us on the Twitter at, at PWComicsWorld. And I'm Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm the podcast producer. And you can find us online on Tumblr at PWComicsWorld.tumblr.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to more to come on the Apple Podcast app, Google Podcasts, and on Stitcher. And on Facebook, we're at facebook.com slash PWComicsWorld. And don't forget, you can give us a rating or a comment on any of the platforms that we're on. Uh, please let us know what you think of this podcast, because we love to hear from our listeners. That's right. Come on. Reach out and touch. All right. This week on More to Come, welcome to the distillery. Uh, Mocha 2023 Recap. Abrams Comics Art steps up and steps out. Ike Perlmutter fired, not laid off. <laughs> okay, we'll have to dig into that. And uh, rest in peace and in power to Rachel Pollock. All right. Um, distillery? Uh, I, I, it's intoxicatingly interesting. Oh, my goodness. Well, I think that they've boiled it down to the essence, which I guess we've just made the two yes. uh, puns that they picked that really not that great name for. Yeah, sorry. Sorry, Chip and David. The spirit of the whole. The spirit of the whole. Yes, into the spirit. This could go on, but hopefully so, it won't. Yes. So let's, let's tell our listeners what it is. Well, it's, well, you know what it is? Uh, it's welcome back into the comics fray to David Steinberger and, uh, Chip Mosher. Yes. This is the new venture that, you know, what we've been waiting for since they left Comicsology. Yes. And just to be clear, David Steinberger is the founder, co-founder mm-hmm. of Comicsology. Yes. Chip Mosher was the director of, uh, content there for many years yes. and mm-hmm. he pretty much ran the Comicsology Originals program. Yes. And, um, you know, they both left Comixology slash Amazon after Comixology pretty much got absorbed yes. into the belly of the Amazon beast. Oh, because it was originally acquired in what, 2014? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's been a few years, but. It's been a few. Yeah. So as I mentioned in my story, we saw them hanging out together at cons all the time and everybody really, I would say it was the worst kept secret in comics yeah. that they were cooking up a new thing and today, it became Twitter official and uh, New York Times official. That is yeah, called Distillery, uh, pronounced like that, but spelled D-S-T-L-R-Y. Yeah, one of those internet one of those, yeah, digital which spellings. I, anyway, <laughs> we can talk about the name later. But, um, uh, you know, there's been a lot of comics publishers announced, but I would say this one created a stir. Well, yeah, yes, yeah. I mean, it just was just announced. Yeah. Um, but well, I mean, I, at the stir is probably going to be over. What does this mean? What are they doing? Um, and maybe we should outline some of that sure. right now. Now they're going to be a hybrid digital uh, print and digital publisher. Uh, it's going to be single issues. Uh, they are going to have print uh, as far as uh, that'll be distributed to the comics market. Uh, they're going to have book collections, so they say. Uh, and then they also have uh, a very interesting business model that is will feature um, a list of original creators or founding creators mm-hmm. that will have an equity stake in the com- in the in the company, uh, and also for the potential of all creators to receive some kind of. You know, if not an equity stake, a royalty. It's a little, that part has got a little bit confusing. It's a little confusing. I mean, I talked to Chip and Dan. Also, everybody will own their own IP. Yes, everyone will own their IP. Company owned. But there, I think the the thing that most people, uh, caught, fired the imagination of most people was the fact that they're calling it, I'm going to read their little tagline because, um, uh, an innovative, the new commerce publishers that brings together an innovative relationship creators and a StubHub style resellable digital marketplace. So that got a lot of people at a, 
digital collecting. This is what that is. Well, it and is. You, there's a marketplace to them. Buy the comics. Yes, which but. sounds a lot like NFTs, well, and we don't like NFTs, but yeah. they. I quiz them, so I. I mean, yes. I pat myself in the back. I have and the that's longest a very good interview. By interview. The way. I yeah. ran a transcript of uh, the talk that I had with Chip and Dave, and you know, look, we're friends. I'm sure yes. they're listening. Oh. Without question, Chip is listening to this podcast because yes. he always yeah, gives yes. me comments afterwards. Yeah. But, um, you know, listen, uh, we've known them a long time. We've spoken very highly yes. of them. And, uh, so I sat down, had a, you know, pretty frank 30 minute talk with them. And I did press them quite a bit because at, at one point in the PR, they did use the term digital collectibles, which yes. is the new, more acceptable name for NFTs. And I was very clear. Are these NFTs? No. They are not. Yes, However, they are. Um, but there is a blockchain ledger in the process. There is a private one. They but you say. can create your own little blockchain, sure. which is sort yeah. of not really the idea, because the idea of blockchain is that it's decentralized right. at yeah. everywhere. But that takes up too much power. So this will be like you just had a raid array in your backyard, I guess. Yeah. Well, I mean, it sounds like. The collectible nature comes from an unusual part of the business model, which is they only sell the digital single issues for a week. Mm. And if you want a digital single issue of something that's already come out, the only way to get it is to buy it from another fan through their website. Which is the StubHub-like analogy. Yes. So I assume that what, the you know, the reason that they don't care about decentralization is that it's not supposed to be fungible outside of their closed right. garden. Correct. Yes. And Correct. therefore it doesn't have like a heavy digital footprint. Yeah. This is I guess if, as best I can describe it um the pipeline is same day mm-hmm. print and digital. Print right. That comics I got. which are going to be 48 pages by the way. There's right. a 48 page kind of prestige format. Mm-hmm. Um sold in comic shops and anywhere you can buy, you know. Yeah, digital dig- comics too. Yes, and then yeah. digital. The digital comic will yeah. be dropped the same day. The digital will only be available for one week. After that it will only be available on the uh the pro- um the distiller distillery.co marketplace uh but then when the story is finished it will be in a collection in a graphic novel format in both print and digital and that will be available widely and in you know perpetuity so that is the business model and you know look they were chip and david were or frank they used the term drop culture yes and this is a good you know i i mean they point out that Everybody loves these limited collabs. Yeah. <laughs> you know? you know, whether you're Every- talking about Supreme or you're talking about beer mm-hmm. or whatever. This Target a, yeah, or this is a big part of Uniqlo collecting or- culture these days. Yes, yes, it is. Mm. And um yeah. And I mean it's for I mean, are comics like shoes? I'm not sure, but Yeah. Well, I mean, I think one thing that's very interesting that I that jumped out at me immediately reading it is them saying your business plan was originally print and then they just sort of put the digital with it and what this says to me is that i don't think their real focus is going to be on this digital collecting aspect i think this is to get investors excited Mm -hmm. and i don't blame them for that um i think it's kind of dumb but if it gets them investor money for their perfectly good comic books, then okay, fine. Well, I think what's interesting about it, and you know, again, you you know, the minute the story broke this morning, uh, my DMs were, you know, ablaze. All the private message boards I'm on were ablaze. Uh, everybody was texting. Every, everybody's been talking about it all day. And on Twitter, even as we speak, there's a big discourse going on because I do think, I think. What is significant about this is that we know David Steinberger and David Chip Mosier are very smart comics people. Yeah. Yeah. And so, okay, we're going to pay attention to them. And yes. they are trying to upgrade. I mean, you, you know, everybody's fixated on the digital marketplace, but they're also trying to upgrade um, the whole process of publishing. They're actually trying some new things. Yes. And this has a re- real, and every new thing that they try 
really just throws into sharp relief uh how things are done now like like i think people mm. are questioning oh why did they do that you know why did they do this thing why did they do that thing because because the fundamental comics business during the pandemic really hasn't changed in in a lot of ways you know except that there's more distributors there's more mm. infrastructure i've said this on this podcast before but um you know digital comics have not changed the, in yeah. in 11 years so you know, there's a lot of room for tech growth out there. I mm-hmm. guess is the idea. And they mentioned, and in your interview, they mentioned how how I guess weirdly stable the the size of the digital mm-hmm. comics market. It was ten to fifteen percent has been that way from the beginning, and it pretty much is still that way now. <clears throat> um, look, these guys are passionate about comics. Uh, you know, you you see so many entrepreneurs, and you wonder. Yeah, is this, you know, is this really aimed at Hollywood? Is this, you know, we know these guys are in the, they, they're about comics, they're about publishing, um, and they're about, they are about updating the direct market world to the modern world. Now, I, as a book trade guy, I, I see them trying to recreate direct market culture. That's great. Uh, and, and, and David and Chip, bleed. Don't take this wrong. I'm issuing questions because I, this is an interesting thing you've done. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not knocking you down, but I'm, I'm, you know, like so many of the, it's fascinating and it just raises questions about where we are in comics today. Um, you know, I do think that perhaps this is, this is such a, Direct market view of the world. I worry about it. I, I, I once again say what has transformed comics tremendously is the been the book trade. Uh, I do like it that the print side of this is, uh, not company owned IP, though there may be some down the road. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that there are apparently some kind of royalties situation going on with all creators. Um, uh, you know they're focusing on single issues now that will be collected in the books. I mean, obviously, I, I. They also say that they are looking at multi-genre content. All of this is good. All of this, to me, is in line with what's going on in the world. But I do think it's very interesting in the interview, Heidi, when you talk to them about what you're hearing from, say, uh, when you set in on um, Amy Chu's class, right? Uh, what is the word? I, I'm I'm worried that are they looking at what today's market is and what they're looking for? And I'm not sure it's periodical comics, serialization. I think it's always good, um, but I think there's a market that they're looking for book format, uh, and even on the digital side, they're looking for a certain amount of content for a certain amount of money. Well, I think they're not excluding that at all. I think that they're seeing that serialized run up as almost a promotional period for the collected. Because I will say, it's very easy for a graphic novel that has no attached floppy to sink because it hasn't built buzz. Mm. And floppies, if there is a trade coming, and if there is a collected digital coming, can be a good way to build buzz. As long sure, as you're not absolutely. depending on it financially too hard. Well, I. And I think as long as there's a book. Yeah. Collection yeah, it, plan. It's gotta, it's gotta be well, collected. You know, listen, my. But look, they, they say there's gonna be collected. Yeah, yeah, they're yeah, gonna yeah be, they I mean, these guys aren't stupid. Look, yeah, we know smart. Chip and David are very smart. And boy, if anyone ever had access to all kinds of digital yes. sales patterns, it's them. So, I mean, we have to assume that they are also acting based on their knowledge of what these digital patterns are. Yeah. Um, I, oh, go on, Kate. I was going to say one thing I think is very interesting, cycling back to, um, something you guys were talking about a minute ago about the business model is that there is a quote from Mosher in the interview saying uh, in re uh, media development saying it's not a core driver great comics first our initial profit and loss is all based on revenue from print publishing and digital Mm -hmm. yes Mm -hmm. that's it i don't think we even have any hollywood money in our profit and loss currently and that's very smart Mm -hmm. because that way 
any Hollywood money is all gravy. Mm-hmm. And, and if me, it doesn't come, they're still fine. And, you know, I, I think it's amazing that we have, you know, fixated on this, on the digital part of it because, you know, what else is going on with the company in terms of creator participation is really revolutionary as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is really image for the 21st century. Okay. Mm-hmm. The founding creators who, by the way, let me read the list of founding creators. I think that's, yes, a that's really a good important part. If I can because find it. Because I do it. think that's key because if you're, you, if you need to be talking about thinking about story. Right. So the starting creators, look, if you saw Comicsology originals, you kind of have an idea who they are, but Scott Snyder, Tula Lote, James Tinian, Junko Mizuno, Ram yes. V, Mirka Andolfo, Joel Jones, Jock, Becky Cloonan, Brian Azzarello, Elsa Chabotier, Stephanie Phillips, Lee Garbett, Mark Bernadette, Jamie McKelvey, and founding editor Will Dennis. So this is yes. the tippity top of high the direct quality, market. High quality, high quality creators, creators in both the direct market the, and know, the bookstore market. With a track market. record and with a, yes. a market and with a, a fan base in place. Yes. And so each, I'm just going to read what I wrote in this uh, article because I think this is clearer. Each founding creator will hold an equity stake in the company and an additional Okay, so they, it doesn't say how much, but they have an equity stake in the mm. company. Now, an additional 3% of distilleries company profits will be distributed among all creators, not just the founding creators, who release projects during the first three years of distilleries publishing slate with money allocated based on title performance. So as Chip put it in the interview, it's like if your comic, you're not a founding creator and your comic uh, is one third of their sales, you will get one third, you know, 1% of their profits during that time additionally. So, you know, it's, it's, I mean, I think there's a lot, this is a very big picture. Um, I mean, I'm curious, it. are they using page rates to, to, to pay people? Is it, are there advances? Well, that's I a really great question that we didn't ask, that I didn't ask, yeah. and um, I don't think anybody that. really did ask, so, um, which is a really fantastic question, so. But, um, uh, that all of this is said, this, these are questions that come out of what is an exciting, uh, and much anticipated launch. Yes. So this is, uh, this is just an opportunity to say, you know, we're all here, we're excited, and we're looking to see, uh, Yeah. But I, I do want to throw in also what just, happen? uh, you know, they have investors who they mentioned. Mm, yes. Uh, Kodansha USA, Group Delcor, which is, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and basically they said this is Alvin Liu. Yeah. And, uh, Guy Delcor, who is the founder of Delcor, one of France's biggest indie publishers. This as uh, well. Yeah. Is an investment. Uh, I don't think Viz is. Uh, Del- Kodansha. Kodansha USA. Nope. Uh, well, uh, I'm, my bad. You're right. Yeah. Sorry. Kodansha and Delco. You're yeah. right. Sorry. Uh, John Shepard, who is a video game developer, Mike Warhouse, mm-hmm. a tech guy, and producer Lorenzo DiVetta Ventura. So, uh, which is the advisory board. So, anyway, you know, here's two smart people. This is what they came up with. And now, Let's see how it goes. Let's see how it goes. Well, I mean, um, I think aside from their financial model with the creators, I think what's going on under the hood is just a good publishing company with a lot of digital hoo-ha on top that may or may not contribute any extra money. But if it doesn't, they'll be fine. By the way, creators had... Uh, an insane number of like nice things to say about them. Like they, like all those people I just named, Scott Snyder, Tula Lote, all of them are just like, you know, they're, they're, they're gung ho. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're super gung ho for this. And, um, you know, you love to see it. I want to read one thing and this, uh, we're not talking about today because bless their hearts, Calvin and Kate did not have time to read the 20,000 word, uh, <laughs> analysis of the 2022 book scan numbers. But that we re- will. But retailer Brian Hibbs <laughs> does every year. So that came out. Uh, they haven't had time to absorb it. Uh, I did because I had to edit it. Um, but we will be talking about that because it does have a lot of, uh, factoids about periodicals, graphic novels. Um, I just want to read this one tweet though, just as a teaser from Adam Freeman, who runs his own kind of, um, marketing company and, and consulting company of two retailers. And there's a big discourse right at this moment as we, as we talk, uh, recording this on Twitter. So I'm trying not to click on it too much. Um, hoping I'm not getting dragged. 
and uh, but just about distillery and periodical sales. It's like with all the oh, they should sell them in Walmart's and and uh, you know spitter racks. If only we had spitter racks at Food Town, everything would be fixed. And you know we've talked about that enough. But one of the things that was brought up is that the margins are low. And then Adam, who's very very knowledgeable, responded: Most comics are sold at or near Keystone. Keystone, meaning 100% markup in physical retail. That is about as good as it gets. The fact that there is a secondary market that means retailers can buy collections to find their own markup and that they get Keystone on new comics is why the direct market has been one of the most stable sectors in brick-and-mortar retail for the past two tumultuous decades. Well, to say that goes against common wisdom would be the understatement of the year. Yeah. I mean, I, it, I mean the direct market seems more or less stable now. Um, but I think that's because we, we live in this incredible era where they've become specialty bookstores. Mm. And they have a diversified, um, uh, a far more diversified inventory than they have ever had before. Yes, absolutely. So, um, well, when you guys get a chance to read Brian's book scan analysis, you'll see a lot more of the shape of the bookstore market. So, cause we, we lay it all out in there. Okay. Yeah. Uh, anyway, more but to I more guess. to come. Yeah, yeah much more to come. <laughs> uh, well, on a less happy note, unfortunately, uh, we haven't talked about this in in length at the on the podcast quite a while, uh, but not for lack of news or lack of um, very disturbing alarming news. But the graphic novel book ban movement, um, led by a lot of people who hate uh, freedom and hate uh, free thought. Are one group of them called Citizens for Freedom of yeah. all things. Yeah, which is ironic, you know. Uh, there's there's more and more, and uh, now they're te- they're hitting manga, right? Yeah. So um, the particular people who don't like freedom we're talking about are people who don't like freedom to read, and in this case, they're located in Florida. Are you surprised? Oh. I'm not surprised. <laughs> well, so. As part of the push to pull any quote-unquote unacceptable books from school libraries in Florida, two graphic novels we are aware of have been significantly targeted. One of them, a uh, graphic novel based on the diary of Anne Frank, has been pulled because uh, Moms for Liberty in Indian River County has raised an objection. And, uh, basically says, according to the Associated Press, one of the points objected to is a point at which the protagonist and her <laughs> friend are walking past female nude statues in a park. You can't make this stuff up. Oh my god. It's just so pathetic. It's so outrageous. And they admire the statues, I suppose. That was the yes. sticking point, whatever. Um, so obviously, and Frank is famous historical figure uh her diary is you know part of the historical literature tradition like come on meanwhile also objected to is assassination classroom (laughs) a very popular manga series which admittedly involves children in a classroom being trained to kill each other. So therefore, there are guns in the classroom because it's a classroom for assassination. But the combination of classrooms and guns, even if it's not a normal classroom, was apparently too much. And so... (laughs) Well, it's a crazy series, but (laughs) the people that are trying to ban it are even crazier. Yes. Uh, Um. So... There are objections, and uh, the AP article highlights something that I thought was very interesting, which is that the ALA reported last month that there were more than 1,200 demands to censor library books last year in the U.S., the highest number since the association has begun tracking. Yeah, yeah. it's it's an epidemic. Yeah. Can I speak about the banned book club? So uh, it's One of the other books banned, where else, in Florida, is an absolutely wonderful book. Uh, it's called Band Book Club. I forget exactly. It was only published a couple of years ago. 
by uh, was it Heims? I think it was uh, yeah, oh yeah, who it's you by kept Kim Heimsuk and Ryan Estrada. Um, did I get the the pub date right? It's only about two or three I years old. I think it came out before the p- pandemic, maybe but, in twenty nineteen. Um, yeah, um, it's really the story. Uh, um, Kim Heimsuk is. Ryan's wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, she grew up in Korea in the in the 1980s under a brutal uh, Korean military uh, regime. But this book is wonderful. It is both a memoir that uh, it's a combination of comedy and terror, sheer mm-hmm. terror that is unsurpassed. But it also looks at how she, uh, as a university student, uh, un- unknowingly unknowingly joined a club. She thought. Uh, would be talking about, you know, Moby Dick in a cafe, but she finds herself among some of the most courageous, hardcore, uh, political activists in studying. This is a club to read books banned by the military regime. Yeah. Well, uh, there, there was a thread on Twitter about it in which Ryan Estrada, the co-writer, points yes. out that these, well, actually the Anne Frank banning also is the work of one guy. Yeah. And the, the laws have been changed in Florida so that one person can object to a book and it's withdrawn throughout the whole state and it can even be a felony if you have that book yeah. in the classroom. So, I mean, this is mass censorship. I mean, yeah. this is Fahrenheit 451. This is... Theoretically, the book gets put back if the... Uh, book is decided upon to be appropriate right, after but all, they, but they the, don't. They never review them. They never. They haven't yet. Yeah, they haven't yet. So and this book group sh- is called what? No left turn in education. Apparently, he's got a. Uh, it's a a guy who carries on. He does mass emailings mm-hmm. about this. Um, They're very organized. Yeah, and he he has a whole strategy for blanket getting a sort of blanket bans on books for the damnedest reasons. A book about living in a society that bans book hasn't been banned in Florida. It's crazy. It's really, it's really dangerous. And it's times. a fabulous book. Yeah, it's a great book, and um, you know we've seen a few wins. I mean, we do see wins on this, like in, in uh, Texas, the other one of the other hotbeds, uh, Lano County, has been one of the uh, hotbeds where they've tried to close the library. Uh, so a bunch of citizens did sue, and the judge uh, agreed that it was unconstitutional to remove the books. Uh, so then the county board is just threatening to close the library yeah. completely. And uh, Missouri has also passed uh, – one arm of the legislature has also passed just defunding libraries. And, you know, our own dear mayor, Eric Adams, here in New York City, is also – Pledging to cut libraries by fifty million dollars. What is wrong? It's the number with this? one move by every dumb mayor yeah. in the country, every dumb chief executive to cut library funding. Yeah. It's insane. And you know what? People like their libraries. They do. And they're 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 val they're they're invaluable to a healthy democratic society. Mm-hmm. They're um, invaluable to people who need a place to go during that, the day that, and use Wi-Fi, well. too. If One point on the uh, Band Book Club, uh, which is published by Iron Circus mm-hmm. Books. Uh, they have a great lineup. Go go, go check them out. Go support them. Uh, but the Florida Freedom to Read Project is organizing around that and uh, trying to fight the uh, banning of uh, that particular book. Yeah. And, so, and, and others, I'm I mean, sure. listen, the fight goes on. Uh, I'm actually working on the library article for uh, PW, which will come out in June. And you can guess what it's about, uh, what the topic is. And boy, whew, it's hmm. a hard, hard story to cover because uh, you just want to scream. Yeah. It's just uh, it'd be, the people who claim they're acting uh, driven by freedom and yet they're acting like a, a, you know, a, under a dictatorship. Yeah, yeah, it's insane. Yeah. <sighs> well, well of, they want the freedom to restrict other people's freedom, the I, most important freedom of all. But you know, America was founded on the freedom to be repressed. You know, those Puritans left England because they were very unpopular because they were so repressive. Yeah. So, so there you uh, go. That's one of my favorite uh, observations the, about the this great true history of, of which, yeah, yeah, the true of, history. Uh, American freedom. Yeah, we well, want freedom. To make sure that nobody else has any. Yeah. 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 Depends on the, the uh, particular group of people. But, yes, yeah. that particular group. Uh, um, and, and others. But anyway, um, 
Uh, well, on a, on a happier note, yes. let's go back to happier things. Mocha returned uh, yes, uh, it a did. couple weekends ago. And and it seems bigger and better than ever. Well, it was. It had yeah. like 5,000, it's like 8,000 people, 8, people on one weekend. day. And it was a little bit crowded. Yeah. 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 I think it was 5,000 people uh, by, I think, late afternoon on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Uh, 8,600 total for the entire weekend. Wow. Um, uh, I think they said it was the biggest mocha ever, right? Yes, I think that it said was. they were cute. Yes, that's the society the illustrators yeah. is running it. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I think the first day was maybe, uh, I don't know, because I think they had 7,000 at one point in the, in the past. Well, it was way too crowded. It, it was really crowded and it was hot too. Um, it was stinky. <laughs> Well, there you go. But uh thank you know God what? they didn't they ha- survive. <laughs> yeah, but thank God they didn't have it this weekend because oh, I will say last weekend oh, yeah. was the first warm weekend here in New York, listeners. And uh or the weekend of Mocha was the first warm weekend yeah. and they had turned on the AC, but guess what? In an old building in New York City, it takes a while for the AC to yeah, kick in and to heat up the space and it on Saturday was not up the, to snuff. It did bring back. It wasn't as bad. But it did bring back memories of an, one of the old puck building mocha. No, it was the armory. It was the armory. Was it the armory yes. where it was incredibly yes, hot because the armory doesn't have any oh, air conditioning. The armory. Yeah. Okay, there you so, go. But uh, but of course it was a great day of programming. Uh, I did a panel. Uh, I mentioned it in the preview, but I got a chance to talk with Barbara Brandon Croft, the first nationally syndicated black woman cartoonist. For her strip, where I'm coming from, there's a new book that collects the strip uh, from Drawn and Quarterly. We had a great talk, uh, and many of these um, uh, presentations will be were videotaped and recorded. It's the first time I think that Mocha has no, done this, they've no? done that before. Okay, my no, bad. No, they have a lot of the. Yeah, I think the, te- the the panels have been. It's pretty standard at uh, most CAFs to record there the panel. So they 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 certainly did my panel. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think they're going to, well, they will be archived, but I think they're going to be sort of selling access, access through their memberships. Yes, yes. And I do so. want to shout out Bill Cardalopoulos, who did yes, the please, yes. programming. Yes, because so. he did a great job. He did. Really, he really uh, did. Uh, Maya Kebab, uh, I could go on and on. As I said, Barbara Brandon Croft. Um, Colleen Doran. Mm-hmm. No. Neil yes, Gaiman. Yes, yes, there you go. And it goes on and on and on. So, <laughs> And also like Noah Van Skyver, a lot of indie yes. people. But I mean, look, most important of all, like we're saying so many people were there. I mean, it sounds like, looked like they were there to buy comics. I yes. mean, this is, you know, recession. What recession? Yeah. Like this was packed. No, it was, it was great. It was great. Uh, the trophy was there. Oh, well, that <laughs> they, was one of the biggest. Look, I they mean, had a crowd. Well, would we listen when we talk about updating and upgrading everything? It's like, as I approached the Metropolitan Pavilion on Saturday afternoon, I saw a big line outside, and I thought, oh, this is wonderful. They are, people are lined up to get into Mocha. And then I was informed that this lineup was purely for the draw fee table. And now if you're over the age of, I mean, I don't know, based on the <laughs> line, I'd say I'm maybe 25. <laughs> I'm not sure you know who, do you know who draw fee is? I Kate? don't. Okay. And Kate's the kid here. So. Yeah, but at the same time, I'm not under 25. <laughs> no, no, not, not anymore. But, um, so draw fee for anyone who is an old fart like me is a YouTube channel and it has like, uh, how many subscribers? Like well over a million. Uh, let's see how much it has. Uh, but anyway, they were there and they were drawing like the show. Oh, so they have 1.83 million subscribers. So it's a bunch of artists and they, it's kind of animated and they, they get suggestions and then they draw like they show the, the, you know, the projection of the drawing mm-hmm. in the, the, the video. They don't, it's not the people sitting around. It's like showing the drawing and then they say funny things while they make the drawings. Yeah. And this has 1.8 million subscribers. And, uh, the people were lined up in the hot sun. Some of their, like, here's a video called Three Artists Try Drawing Pokemon from Memory with 3.5 million views. That's from seven yeah, years okay. ago. But, you know, listen, the point is, I, I, but they were there. I guess they were there the year, previous year and, you know, they're part of the community and mm-hmm. yeah, obviously the got young mm-hmm. folks very excited to meet them and to get a drawing from them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. 
And um, on a uh, on another uh, topic around Mocha, I just wanted to mention uh, one of the best attended panels was the Publishing Books Today panel. Oh yes, um, which <laughs> looked at the operations, the outlook of graphic novels in trade book publishing. Representatives from Fantagraphics, Drawn and Quarterly, Abram Comics Out, and First Second, and the discussion has apparently spilled spilled over into social media, and there were there were apparently some contentious debates around agents uh, whether you should have an agent or not an agent uh whether publishers want to work directly with creators uh so payment terms so it was uh it this will also be available obviously at some point through uh the it should say the the study of illustrators is the organizing Mm -hmm. um uh, uh, owns mocha and organizes it so uh, this is a panel that maybe you want to mark yeah. and go well, try and I, find. Just the, you know, the social media discourse was was touched off by a social media Twitter bomb, where somebody went to the panel and said an old white guy editor at a company said <laughs> that, that he was. didn't like working with agents. <laughs> but yeah, mm. but you know, no, look, it, I'm not saying. I'm but I'm just saying it had the panel had Tom Devlin and Gary Groth on it, and yeah. you know, I don't like tweet bombs because by not naming who said it. On a public panel yes. that's been recorded and will be viewed. Now you 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 can't be held accountable. You can't True. be held accountable. So I don't. You know, sometimes citizen journalism is. Uh, I mean, it was cre- certainly it was effective a, it was for getting. A really well known creator who it, it dropped was, that tweet bomb. It was. Yeah. And um, but you know. Uh, so they well they known be held for a lot of things. <laughs> uh, well known, yeah, but but they weren't. <laughs> and so then the discourse was like, was it Gary or was it Tom? Well, yes, that I think that was. Why part not of it, just but say I do, who it was and not Tar the other? Well, I agree, but you know, because uh, it's one thing to not name names when it's a large pool of potential people, and therefore no one in particular will get yeah. hit by it, and therefore, you know, you genuinely are protecting someone's reputation. But when there are only two people in the room who mit, who. uh who fit the description, um, you're tarring the other person. Yeah, well, apparently the indie, the indie comics publishers uh, were more on this discussing the relationship of agents yes. and creators. Yes, While the trade book houses, the two of them that were there, are, are quote-unquote closed houses. They only yes. accept yes. submissions mm-hmm. from agents. So, yeah, I'm just saying it was a, yeah. a, a very interesting conversation. You know, another discourse happened that I haven't even seen, but apparently Josh Cotter, uh, you know, speaking of photographs, went on social media. Have you guys heard about this? Like he went on social media and uh, said that, you know, was complaining, but in a really sad kind of pathetic way, that only four copies of his graphic novel had been sold last year. And, uh, you know, if he were to finish his seven, you know, only two volumes of his projected seven-volume series have come out. So if he needs to finish it, he needs to sell more than that. So it's really an appeal for people to buy more. I, I haven't seen the discourse about it, but... He's um, only sold four books in the course of a year. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm thinking he didn't go to any festivals. Well, he didn't because it was during the pandemic. Mm. Okay, so, so there's but, a lot of reasons for that. Okay, so oh, so so that was over 2020. Yes, no, it was over 2022, but but in 2022 there are festivals. Yeah, but I mean, you know a lot of people won't go to them. Copies. A lot of okay. people didn't like yeah. going to them before, mm. and the book was mentioned on several best of lists, which shows how many people give a flying hootie pooty about those. Uh, so anyway, you know, listen, I, I'm Is just sure. <laughs> I, you again, know, if you say something that humiliating, I, I, I believe okay. you're sure. Well, it might be based on this, you know, book scan chart. I don't know. I mean, you get a royalty statement and I could actually look it up on book scan and I think I will. So, um, anyway, just part of the disc, you know, all of this, all of this, all this roiling, um, discontent about, about things, but at Mocha, there was a lot of happy was, young folk mm-hmm. buying art, yes. buying comics, buying, buying graphic novels. Yes, yeah. And new, just new, 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 new faces. The people yeah. I have no idea who they are. Yeah, and it, it's, it's <laughs> as really, it I should mean, be. Yes, it, as it, it should it, be. It really is the the calves at the, at their best. Really, with a great young audience, uh, a programming that features young and old. Uh, it it just shows you what what an incredibly uh, rich world of comics publishing. Uh, we're living through right now. Yeah, and I think 
it's proof that a low barrier to entry does not mean a lack of quality that products or a lack of quality attendees. Yeah. That yeah. you can have something that is easy, a show that's easy to become an exhibitor of, relatively speaking, and that is cheap to be a visitor to, and you can make it work and get something great. So, yeah, uh, very and, successful. and even, I even noticed and had a picture of, uh, Lisa Lucas, who is the, the new, uh, VP and, uh, senior VP and publisher of Pantheon and Shock and Book. She was working the table at Pantheon Graphic Novels mm-hmm. right next to Chip, Chip Kid. So, uh, you know, everybody wants in on the comics and graphic novels. Well, speaking of which, uh, I'll segue. As the queen of the Segway, uh, we have a, um, um, uh, speaking of everyone wanting to be in graphic novels, Abrams Comics Art is some big, to me, really significant news because yeah. it is becoming its own standalone division under Abrams, uh, alongside adults and kids, and now it will be graphic novels. It'll be three divisions yeah. instead of only two. Yeah. Yeah. And it's essentially mm-hmm. a graphic novel division. Now they publish all kinds of comics related material. Yes. Uh, yes. but this is a big deal. Uh, Charles Karchman, uh, who we all know also, known for years. He's the founding, uh, uh former editorial director, now, uh, promoted to editor in chief. Mm-hmm. Uh, he reports to, well, now here's, people, but, see, here's the secret. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people don't know that Abrams is owned by a French yes. publisher. <laughs> it is owned by Mediatune Participation. Mm-hmm. Uh, which also owns, uh, let's see, Dupuis and Dargo, pretty well-known French so, publishers. Yeah, so they, they have installed a fella by the name of Rodolphe Lachey, who is of French origin. Uh, he will be the vice president and publisher of Abrams Comics Arts. And, um, so, you know, it's a little, but he's an existing editor. He's been at Abrams for a while yeah. running Kernunis, an yeah, adult fiction imprint. Yeah. Uh, but you know, hey, all good, and they're gonna start doing manga. Yes. Continuing their very successful Marvel Arts Pact. Um, and then they have a book from The Vortex Veracity by Chip Kidd and Michael Cho coming yeah. out. These are graphic novels, uh, um, out of Mar- Marvel's great characters, but out of continuity. They're, yes. they're, they're kind of bringing in great talent to create books mm-hmm. around the Marvel lineup. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And of course, well, the Alex Ross well, full circle is like one example. Of yeah, it. yeah. And, uh, you know, they have a new one coming out by, uh, by the Mutz guy, Patrick McDonald. Yes, that's true. Coming also. out in the fall. And, yeah. uh, so, you know, I just think that, but, you know, they are going to start doing manga and they're also going to start doing more French books. Obviously, you know, it's tying in with the, the, the mother company. Mm-hmm. And you know what? They've got a graphic novel adaptation coming up of Thomas Piketty's Capital and Ideology. Do you know what? That's like a 900 page book on economics. Yeah, it is. But on the <laughs> other hand, it's a 900 page book that sold really, it really did. well. It's amazing. So but... I'm thinking that, uh, perhaps shortened, edited down I, you know, comics version. Might I wonder be just who's the thing. doing can it. Do it. Abrams Comic Arts Because you know, they're depending <laughs> on who they get to do it. Uh, you know, for somebody like Daryl Cunningham, for instance, it sure. could, really yeah. could be great. Yeah, yeah. Out in New York, see, totally right. Let's see if I can find that out. Uh, it's not up on yeah, Amazon they haven't yet. Put up, they haven't no, attached any boy. a creative team to a couple of the books. Well, we need to really keep an eye on that because that's exciting that's news. We should make that a breaking news story. Um. Yeah, well, congrats to Charlie Kochman. Uh, you know, yeah. he's done very well there. So, and uh, a lot of good books. Yeah. So, um, all right. So, moving right on. Um, well, this is a topic that we love. We <laughs> defer to you, Heidi, because you always give us an, an, an more than amusing update on the adventures of Ike. Well, I I feel like this is sort of the final chapter but i know it's not because that. it it just never is with well, Ike. with comic book villains it never is the yeah, final that's chapter. right they always come back and you know bob Iger, you need to watch your back because uh, you know he i think we we've last when last we looked in on ike Perlmutter, the former publisher of marvel comics and longtime owner and notorious cheapskate he had been really <laughs> like bob Iger, the ceo of disney had really done a number on him like, well, he's kind of fed up. <laughs> he was fed up and finished, and he just, uh, you know, he had some guy call him up and say, "Hey, you're laid off because you know those uh, 
those layoffs you wanted, well, you're one of them. And Marvel, uh, Marvel Entertainment is no more. So, uh, so Ike did clap back. And I have to say, it was kind of a cell phone. Yeah. Well, I mean. <laughs> well, he's not ashamed of his no, reputation. But I think, I think it shows just how out of touch he is from the way normal business people think. Yeah, well, he just said, he, he said he, he, he didn't like the MCU because all they talk about is box office, box office. The, I can't, I've never heard him talk. I don't, I don't, I care about the bottom line. I don't care how big the box office is. Only people in Hollywood talk about box office. I'm like, does uh, he not understand no. what box office means? He does not understand that $23 billion is a nice number. Well, I I think it could be that he is just so phenomenally risk averse that the idea of spending a lot of money on something that could theoretically fail yeah. just explodes his brain. I think, I think it really, I look, I just, you know, some people, I, I gives a lot of money to charity. I'll say that. Some people yes. think that yeah. he has this yes. good side, and okay? And he I, does do that. He right. does have a good side. But we're yeah. talking about him in the context of business. We are, but I'm also saying, I think sometimes even business goes back to psychology. And you know, he grew up very poor. He came to America mm-hmm. with no money. And a lot of times that leaves you does, yeah. with, you know, uh, a, fi- a fixation. And people who know I just say he can't help it. Like he just was like, he kept calling up Bob Iger and telling him the Marvel movies were too long and too expensive. No matter how much money they made, when he saw those numbers, he thought it was too much. And then he, uh, he, this is, he put out this statement and yes, I loved the statement because he says, anyone who knows, he says, first off, I was fired. Yes. I wasn't laid off, <laughs> yes, which exactly. because of his, you know, <laughs> politics or whatever. But this is the line that really got me in the statement. And again, Ike Perlman has not given an interview or put out a statement ever. Yeah. Okay? And now we know why. Yes, now we know why. But he says, anyone who knows me is well aware of my fixation on fiscal discipline to improve efficiency. And I think he said it right there. He he used the word fixation, not focus, okay? Like... Like, which would be a normal word to use, but he said fixation, and I, I think that's it. I think this man literally fishes paper clips out of waste paper baskets, literally ta- takes toilet paper, says don't buy, only buys one roll of toilet. This guy is, I mean, I know I'm not supposed to throw around diagnosis like this, but OCD, Kate, does that sound well, like OCD? I, I am the one who is not allowed to. You guys are allowed to diagnose anyone you want. Mm-hmm. I, as a mental health professional, professional. am not allowed to do so. Oh. But I will say that, I mean, it sounds like this is someone with a kind of mindset who should not be in charge of multi-million dollar properties, mm-hmm. that he's better off as like an efficiency consultant or, um, uh, someone who doesn't decide what the big picture stuff is going to be, who just keeps things from getting out of hand in the small picture stuff. And I mean, maybe he just can't get past the mindset he was in when he actually owned it and it was his money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's hard. Sure. I mean, he says he's only interested in return on investment, but man, how can you get a better return on investment than you're getting with these with the Marvel movies. Well, I mean, there I mean, some, sometimes you got to spend a penny to make risk, two yeah. pennies. I mean, uh, that's. But I mean, he's maybe he thinks that you know, oh, we could we could do crappier Marvel movies and, and still, still make twenty three billion. Well, he did with the Inhumans, and it <laughs> you're didn't. Right, and it but just, yeah, but I, yeah, I think but, I think you're right, Calvin. I think that's what he thinks. I yeah. think he thinks we don't need to make it so nice. We could <laughs> yes. make it crappier, and it would still yes, sell. And yes. the answer is. Yeah. It would make less money, actually. Well, Ike Perlmutter is the only one who seems to think that Hollywood people aren't obsessed with money. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> and that I've never heard Hollywood described that way. That somehow or other, being obsessed with box office was a bad. Uh, you know, he ends his statement <laughs> with, "I wish only the very best for Disney stakeholders, its employees around the world, its millions of devoted fans and customers, its brilliant creators and contributors, many shareholders like me." I will continue to advocate for actions that secure Disney's long-term financial health and allow a new generation of management to reverse the trend 
a falling shareholder equity and return the dividend to its prior level. So Ike is not gone. He Ike go will nowhere. return. <laughs> or he'll certainly try to. All right. All right. You know, maybe shareholders should have a retirement age too. <sighs> yeah. All right. On a, on a, a more somber note. Oh, yes. Well, uh, rest in power to Rachel Pollock. And, uh, she was best known in comics for writing her Doom Patrol. Uh, but she's also an award-winning fantasy and science fiction author and a world-renowned tarot expert. I mean, if you're into tarot, you know her work because she wrote so much about it. And also a real trailblazer for trans creators in comics, um, back in the 90s at Vertigo, which, you know, the 90s were cooler than people think. I mean, they were pretty cool. I just have to say that. Uh, but yeah, Rachel passed away. I went to her funeral on Monday. Uh, she was, uh, you know, I knew her back in the day. She would come to Friends of Lulu meetings and I wanted to pay my respects. And, um, it was a surprisingly upbeat funeral because she touched a lot of people. Mm. And she mentored a lot of people. And, uh, you know, there's kind of a tarot group in where she lived that really was devoted to her and uh, her widow, Zoe. And it was, you know, I think when you live your life the right way and really touch people the right way, um, it's people great. People are to, glad to remember you. He's yeah, very glad. Yeah. And you is celebrated. So I yeah. felt very positive about that. So, but, um, yeah, either of you read her Doom Patrol comics? Or? I have not. I, mm-hmm. I, I'm more familiar with her reputation mm-hmm. than actually having read the book, but I'll, I'll try to improve yeah. that in going forward. Well, I, I have to say that I kind of bounce off Doom Patrol comics, but I never read hers. And the Grant Morrison ones I bounced off might have been less my style than hers. So mm-hmm. I'll have to give her yeah. one a try. Yes. Yeah. Well, she did introduce the first trans superhero right. yep. in there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, a real trailblazer, a real pioneer, and a really lovely, lovely person. So, uh, rest in power, Rachel. Rest in power. And, um, I, uh, oh, never mind. We, we don't need to do the briefs. We've, we've only got 10 yeah. minutes left. Oh, yeah. okay. All right. Well, uh, shall we, um, shall have we... a snappy ending? Yeah, let's roll it. Yeah. Roll okay, it let's roll. Uh, well, boy, whew, another blockbuster week, but, um, uh, you know, listen, leave us a comment. Let us know what you think. Uh, because there will be more to come.